Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This is Terry Garber, and you are buzzing with Brandon. Hey, everybody. This is Beth Maitland. You probably know me best from my role as Tracy Abbott on The Young and the Restless, and I'm talking to you about Brandon's buzz. Come on. You've got to find him. This is Taylor Dane, and you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Better when you live on a street of dreams. Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon's Buzz, the place to be. This is Pamela K. Long, and I am buzzing with Brandon, and I can tell you that it's some of the most fun that you'll have, so you need to tune this in. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah, this is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, this is Nicholas Rodriguez. You are listening to Brandon's Buzz. Be prepared to laugh. You're going to have a good time. This is Maya Bialik, and you are lucky enough to be listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hey, guys, and welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon, and I have a great show lined up tonight. It is Tuesday. October 13th, 2009, it's 10 p.m. in the East, it's 7 p.m. out West, it's 9 p.m. here in Texas, and I am having a great show with a great lady. I want to tell you quickly about some shows I've got coming up. I've got a busy October and a busy fall here at Brandon's Buzz. I've got the great Jessica Tuck coming up next week, Tuesday, October 20th. You remember her from uh, her three-year stint on One Life to Live. She has gone on to a great career in Prime Simon Film, and she is working on a brand-new online campaign called Inspire the Change. Uh, it's kind of an environmentally-based website. Uh, you can find it at, at inspirethechange.com, and she's coming by the buzz next week, October 20th, to, to tell us all about that, to talk about her career. It's, it's going to be a great show. That's next week, October 20th, uh, with Jessica Tuck. And I've also got some other shows that I'm working on. Uh, no firm dates yet, but stay tuned to the website, brandonsbuzz.com or blogtalkradio.com slash brandonsbuzz for all the latest information. The minute I get confirmations, I put the information up there so that you guys can find it. Uh, so, you know, you can look at those two websites, and we'll talk about that at the end of the show, how you can find the show, because I've got a great show tonight, and I want to dive right in with this fabulous lady. You know, lightning rarely strikes an actor twice, especially in soaps, <laughs> where stars often become so identified with their roles due to daily exposure that they are rarely allowed to branch out and try on a different pair of shoes. But you're ready to meet a woman who stands as an exception to that rule. In her glorious three-plus decades toiling in daytime television, she has hurled her entire being into two magnificent roles of a lifetime, scheming Delia Reed Coleridge on Ryan's Hope and Crazy Like a Fox Roxanne Balsam on One Life to Live. <laughs> and in the process, she has not only earned the respect of her peers 
and the devotion of several generations of fans, but she's lived to tell the tale, and that's exactly what she's come by the buzz this evening to do. What a terrific thrill and a great pleasure to welcome this magnificent lady to my program. She is frank. She is ferocious. She is Eileen Kristen. I think that's the best introduction to me that I've ever had. <laughs> I wish you could come to New York and introduce me before I hit the stage at the triad, really. That would be fabulous. Just send me an invite. I'll be there. Well, I may have to go down to Austin, you know. I've heard it's a wonderful city, and I've heard the music is wonderful, but most of all, people talk about the spirit you know, of the it's city. It's just the best like, city. I grew up in the... I don't know if you know the panhandle of Texas, but I grew up north of Amarillo. and Right, yeah. I came here in 94 and never left. I just fell in mad sure. love. And, you know, I, I'm an Austin lifer now, I think. Right. There's a really very talented producer, uh, Meryl Brigante. Do you, Brigante, he, he's worked with several bands. I think he toured with the Doobie Brothers for a while. Oh, and, wow, okay. So he does a lot of stuff down there. I think he produces a lot of stuff down there, and I, I was so lucky to work with him. Uh, we did this benefit for Paz, the Love Out Loud um, benefit that I do, which I'm going to do um, on my way to doing the Acme uh, comedy theater um, thing. I'm doing uh, the Love Out Loud benefit, oh, which is going to be on October 15th okay. at a club called Hwood in Hollywood. You know, I had your I had your uh, your co-star Brett on my show last week, and he was talking about being out there next week for the for the AIDS walk, and so I was wondering if if you guys were going to meet up and and try to do you something. You know what? Like we probably will meet up. Yeah, I have to leave. I think Sunday night, but I know Brett's going to be there, and I'm going to I'm going to hopefully he'll come to my uh, my gig at the Acme, and also he'll um, maybe come with me to um, Hwood, you know, for this party. Fantastic. And a lot of soap opera people, a lot of some nighttime people. It's an event that I try to go to every year. You know, it's it's fun, but it's also for a great cause. Absolutely. Uh, you know, back in the 80s, I, I think I, I must have lost about 30 friends mm. over that 10-year period. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I've, I've been doing fundraising for since, uh, I, I guess it was 1981. Wow. And, you know, that was back in the days when nobody knew from it. I mean, nobody knew what yeah. that was. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. It was... Um, but uh, you know, once it started hitting a, a community, it really, it really worked its way through it, and it worked its way through the dance community, which I had been part of, and people like Michael Bennett, the, cor- the great choreographer, and so many dancers, and just it was a very scary time. And you very know, funny. still, uh, still, as people have gotten so complacent these days, because there's so many, you know, treatments and drugs and right. what have you, and, and people have kind of gotten complacent again. You know, we do things a little backwards in this country. <laughs> just a little bit. Not just in that respect either. No. <laughs> in in many different areas, unfortunately. <laughs> I think it's a great country. I do. You know, when you fly over it, you really look at well when you you know, when you wake up um in the northwest, I, I took a sleeper uh car, um, sleeper train and I went to Portland, Oregon and to Seattle. You know, coming from New York City, but to wake up near Portland, a couple of hours outside of Portland, and just see this beautiful, beautiful, these mountains and mm-hmm. a volcano, and <laughs> it was just shocking. It was really shocking. It's, a, it's, it's prime real estate, but we need to do things a little bit better. There was a book years ago 
that I used to check out of the library called Our 50 States. Mm-hmm. And one of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen in my life was of Portland at nighttime. You could see the lights of the city mm-hmm. in the valley below, and then behind it you could see Mount Hood, which was snow-capped. Right. And I guess the, the moon was shining off of it, and it was just perfectly illuminated, and it's one of the most stunning pictures I've ever seen. It's a very beautiful city with um, an intelligence about it and a, a forward move, very forward-thinking, uh, very easy city to get around. I was really amazed. It was, it was really quite wonderful. They had a big bookstore. People seem to read there. What a concept. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Go figure. <laughs> really? Really? But um, anyway, great country. Really well, I'll tell you great. what, it's a great thrill to have you on the show tonight. And Thank there are, you. There are not many people that I would give up Sunday night football for, and you are definitely one of them. Woo-hoo! <laughs> So let, By the way, I, you know, there were a couple of other characters that snuck into my soap opera past. I played uh, this wonderful character on Loving called yes. Norma. I was going to ask you about that later, yeah. Yeah. It's a shame I didn't get, you know, a couple more years out of it because it really, really was, was fun. You were also terrific on Another World for a short time. Very short time. They gave you a great character and they just, you know, they, they didn't know what they had, I guess. Well... I think, you know, the wonderful thing about that was that one of the writers on that show was Lorraine Broderick. When I was doing that show, she tried to, you know, have them hire me for a longer stay there. But when she took over as head writer on One Life to Live, she said, I'm going to write something for Eileen. And it was from that, from that experience on Another World. So it, it worked out. It worked out, I guess, the way it was supposed to. Absolutely. You know, and we were all surprised because when Claire took over at One Life to Live, we were all convinced that she was going to bring you over there at that time. Of course, you know, if she had, you wouldn't have the great part you have now. But Probably you know, we, not. We were all convinced that Claire was going to find something for you to do on One Life to Live. Well, she was going to probably eventually do it, but, you know, she had to come in and, you know, deal with what the the existing characters are. And, you know... Uh, it's really tough taking over as a head writer. I'm, I'm sure she would have liked to have brought on a lot of people. Absolutely. From um, I think she brought on Helen. I yeah, know. she did for a short time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she, she had a, she had a tough time over there. She had lots of. She had a very tough time. Lots of fingers in the pot. It was not, uh, as far as I know, it was not a pleasant experience for her. I went to see her. I just walked in because I needed a job, so I just kind of walked in one day and found her and her son sitting in the. Um, I don't know. I snuck past everybody. I don't know how because you really can't get past these people, but I did. <laughs> I did, and I sat with her. Uh, also, when she was doing Guiding Light, she very much had something in mind for me, but she was butting heads with Paul Roush. Yep, yep. And that was not a pleasant experience for her either. And in a matter of like, six months, I lost three really good jobs, things that I thought, you know, including the one at Guiding Light that I, I thought would work out. And mm-hmm. I had done uh, a reading with Glenn Close for the version of South Pacific that she oh had God. done in Australia. And at first, you know, they were going to hire an Australian, and then they loved my reading so much that Glenn kind of said to me, if I have to pay your way out, I... <laughs> will and that didn't it didn't end up working out like that and another friend of mine ended up doing it Eileen Graff who I had done Greece with but I was I hurt from not getting that job I, I didn't know how I lost it I really didn't know how I lost that job wow. so um, it, things were just not going right at all 
<laughs> That's why when they called me on One Life to Live, and my agent called me in, in August and said, oh, they're very interested in you for One Life to Live, and I was, I couldn't get excited about it. I was a little bitter and twisted that month, and I just, it was like, well, when they really offer me a job, then I'll be excited about it. But <laughs> up until then, I, you know, and there was another job that someone had talked to me about that didn't happen. So it was just boom, 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 three different things happening. So, but of course, I got the job on One Life to Live, September tenth, two thousand and one. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know, really? I, I had one of your co-stars, Nick Rodriguez, on my show a couple weeks ago, and and he he's actually from Austin. I don't know if you know that or not. But, oh, I didn't know that. But he was telling me that he moved to the city on September 5th, 2001. Oh, my so, God. It was amazing because I only called a couple of people the night of September 10th, which was a very stormy, very wet evening. Of course, as we know, the next day, the weather was glorious the next day. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't really talk to too many people about it. I called my parents, and I called my sister, and um, that's about it. And then I didn't speak to anybody about it for two weeks. Wow. At all. So, And, and then you... I had to go to work September 27th. And it, you know, by... It was very hard kind of getting into the the mode of like... I'm sure. Well, you're going to be acting now. But by the 27th, something else took over, and I really felt that people needed to be entertained. And by God, I was going to do it. <laughs> you know, so crazy time. Wow. Anyway, enough with this. <laughs> Absolutely. No, really, I, I didn't. I'm, I'm doing some happy events, so I'd rather talk about those happy events. Indeed you are. You're coming up this weekend, you're the musical guest at yes. something called Acme Saturday Night, and you know, I, I listen to several shows on this network, and it seems like every time I turn around, there's somebody new talking about that they're going to be hosting this Acme Saturday Night thing. I mean, Leah Thompson did it a while back, and right. uh, there's a kid from Days of Our Lives that's done it before, and you know, I don't I don't have a clue what it is. Can you... Can you kind of set well, up? Well, it's like Saturday Night Live. It's like doing Saturday Night Live. First of all, for the audience, that's out in Los Angeles. So anyone who's listening is out in, out in Los Angeles or near Hollywood. It's uh, on La Brea, acmecomedy.com. You can go online to check it out. Uh, last year, I did. I was the host. And it's just like Saturday Night Live. They give you sketches, and hopefully they do a little Googling and you know, look into your work a little bit and write sketches that they think that you can do and be funny in. Gotcha. And so I did it last year. They had not looked at any of my work, by the way. I went in that first time, and so I had to kind of say to some of them, because some of the sketches they had to throw out, so I said, you know, you need to look at my work a little. And then I came up with a couple of ideas, and uh, I ended up having a wonderful time. It was really, it was great, and they were a great group of people to work with. Uh, scary because you don't really get to rehearse with them until the day of. Although now I think they throw in an extra rehearsal. But this year I decided they added the musical guest. So I decided that I would be the musical guest this year. How many people are in the audience? How many people come to this thing? Gosh, I don't know. I think there's a, it may just be 100 people in the audience. And it, you can also watch this online, can you not? Yes, it's If you can't actually be in the club, you can also watch it. Yes, absolutely. I've had so many people on Facebook write to me and say, oh, well, I'm not going to be in L.A., and I guess they didn't read that you can you can stream it. Well, we'll tell everybody right now. It's, it's www.acmecomedy.com, A-C-M-E comedy.com. 
8 p.m. Pacific, which will be 11 p.m. Eastern, and I assume it's live all across the country. And if you want to go live, it is 135 North La Brea Avenue, the Acme Comedy Theater in uh, LACA. So have you decided what you're singing yet? I think I'm going to do the song that I wrote for my birthday this year called Lion's Den and uh, a little Latin thing that I wrote called Rise to the Occasion. Uh, If I do one more original, it'll be a song called I'm Not Done With You Yet which is about a love affair that just never dies. <laughs> <laughs> I may do a cover. I'm not really sure. I'll feel it out. But I, 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 maybe I'll be brave and do all three originals. You do You do a regular one-woman show, do you not? Yes, I do. Yeah. Well, it's, I fortunately have a band with me, a band with plenty of abandonment. They're wonderful. My musicians are really great. I mentioned uh, Nick Rodriguez. He was on my show uh, yes. know, a, month, a month or so ago, and he's a trained opera singer. I don't know if you know that. Oh, I didn't know he was an opera and singer. No, he's a he's a hell of a singer, from what I'm told. Mm-hmm. In fact, I tried I tried like hell to get him to sing eight bars of something here, and he told me he wasn't warmed up, and he begged off. But the next time he's on the show, I'm gonna I'm going to uh, not let him go until he sings something. Uh, so you've been warned, Nick, if you're listening. Anyway, he told me that he's interested in putting together a a, a one man show for himself, so that. He can kind of, he can kind of, you know, have that in his back pocket. And I said, go and tackle Eileen. She does a one-woman show every month, practically. Well, not every month. In fact, this year I've only done a, a couple this year, but um, I could definitely help him with that. I, I really kind of know how to tell people to assemble, how to <laughs> assemble their material. Well, I tell you what, the next time you see him in the hall, you should, you should bring it oh, up. Oh, I will. I will definitely say something to him. You know, you guys have an incredibly stacked cast musically. I mean, Cassie DePiva is a great singer. Oh my God, amazing. You were fabulous. Kathy Breyer, when she was there, she's a phenomenally talented vocalist. Oh, my God. Amazing. Uh, the great Catherine Hicklin, she was fantastic. Yep. When, whenever your show ventures into musical territory, is that always fun for you? Yeah. I haven't done any music there in a long time. You know, Hillary actually had done a bunch of Broadway things, too. People don't know that about Hillary. You know, I didn't know that. She can sing and dance, yes. And, of course, we had the amazing Renee Goldsberry. Absolutely. And Tika. She's a great singer. And Kristen's done a little singing, and I believe that, that Jason Tam has a Broadway background as well. Absolutely. Or a theater background at any Oh, amazing. No, no, he's a great singer and a, a phenomenal dancer. He did chorus line. Did you always sing, or was that something that kind of came later? No, I, I sang from the time I was a kid. Do you remember yeah. the first time you got a real reaction to your voice or to, to something you kind of did or said? You know, I was lucky. I always got a reaction. I got a reaction from my parents. They just thought I was adorable. <laughs> <laughs> now they spoiled me terribly with that with those wonderful reactions uh-huh. in fact every time I'd walk into a room if I hadn't seen my parents in a half an hour they'd make a fuss over me I mean <laughs> I want to say I was very lucky but you know it, if I go into an audition now and the people are very blasé towards me I can't uh-huh. I I, it's not something that I like at all. You know, it's like some people can take that, but I find it very disconcerting. Uh-huh. You know, you always hear about about comedians, and especially comedians or, or or comedic actors. You know, people in that vein who talk about how you know they they were ignored and neglected as a kid, and that's why they have that hunger for mm-hmm. you know the live audience reaction because they didn't get it when they were when they were children. Oh, I got it. <laughs> I made a lot of people, I, you know, I made all my school girlfriends laugh. Um, you know, I took ballet class. I made my teachers laugh. I, you know, 
you know, I, I not that I would try for a reaction, but I usually mm-hmm. got it. I I got noticed as a as a kid. <laughs> so, what was what was Eileen's big break? What was the thing that kind of set you on your way? Well, it was interesting because my dance teacher, who was a very famous choreographer, Matt Maddox, he had been in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and all in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. He was uh, a dancer extraordinaire and he was a, an amazing teacher and he had this school in New York and I was in class I was very young but I was in class with Ali McGraw and um, a wonderful actor Kevin Conway and just all sorts of famous people would filter in and out of this mathematics dance class and he came over to me one day and he said would you like to be on the Bell Telephone Hour and I knew the show because it was this beautiful beautiful um variety show and indeed um the guests on this it was robert young from father knows best and carol lawrence who had been in the original company of west side story so that was my first job that was my first real job and um and i just you know i knew that i would be working in this business somehow and then i got uh, a broadway show with michael bennett henry sweet henry and then i did a bunch of work with michael even though he was on to me he hired me for a bunch of things. He still kind of liked you. He did. <laughs> he did. I, I, It was crazy because I thought that I would never work for him again, but I did. And then once I gave up dancing, um, the first job to really come along was Grease. I was in the original company of Grease. Fantastic. Dance background helped in that so much. And from then I just, uh, I never thought I'd be doing a soap at all. And isn't that funny because that's that's where you found your fame. I know. It's very bizarre to me. I can't figure it out at all. Because the only thing that I actually ever set out to do, I mean, aside from the dancing, which, as I said, I knew I was, you know, pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. And I knew that I was like a comedian. So I always thought I'd end up on a sitcom. And that was the really, after I did, after I gave up dance, that was my whole um, thrust in life was to be like the next Lucille Ball, really. Sure. So I ended up doing it on daytime, in a way. I, I think uh-huh. I've kind of been a comic actress on daytime. Absolutely. So uh, talk about the transition to daytime. How did Ryan Tope come into your life? Did you, well, my did agent you audition called for that? Me about it. Well, sure I did. My agent called me about it, and I said, I'm not really interested in doing a soap. And he goes, no, I think you'll find this part interesting. And I, lo- and I read what how they talked about Delia, and it was so interesting. And I said, oh, okay, I'll go in for it. And I got very fascinated in the character, and um, but I was really concerned about doing it. And he says, "Oh, it won't last longer than six months." <laughs> so. And fourteen years later. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't there that whole time, as you know. Yeah, you, I, yeah, you I was in and out of that place. And in fact, you were you were recast a couple times, were you not? Yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah, but that was my character. It was very hard to. Re- you know, a lot of times on these soaps, it's very hard to replace a character oh, sure. that, that is so popular with the audience. You know, I mean, it, the audience is there every single day. It's, you yes. know, an, uh, a half hour or an hour a day. And, you know, in some ways, you become like, I, you know, I always say, in, in, in some ways, you become more famous than, than Julia Roberts or Angelina Jolie just because, you know, they're in a film a year or two films a year. Right. Or, and you know you're in people's houses every Well, definitely, definitely day. the the first couple of years of Ryan's Hope that is that is a fact. I there was no place that I could go that people wouldn't recognize me. I remember going to Fleetwood Mac 
concert right as they were getting really famous and walking in and, and being treated as famously as wow. they were. So it was a really incredible calling card. And all of a sudden, you, you get to be well-known from not being known at all. I mean, people knew me if they, you know, had seen a couple of Broadway shows, but they, but this was something amazing. Ryan's Hope was never kind of the ratings blockbuster that the rest of the ABC lineup was. But why do you think so many people from so many walks of life were so profoundly moved by that show? I mean, Because it was written beautifully. And it was handcrafted for the people that were in it. It was really, it was not a, it was not run like a corporation when we started doing it. It was this little engine that could, little train that could. They left us, the network left us alone pretty much. It was really an amazing, the first three years were just really amazing. And, um, it, and actually, I think for its time slot, did very well. Yeah. The ratings were so different then, and there were only three, basically three sure. channels. Sure. Which I mean, makes a big was, difference. There was no Fox. There were maybe five cable channels, if that. And, and there weren't you know, even cable were... channels at that point when, when we started in '75. Well, there might have been, but they were very rudimentary. Yeah, uh, and very selectively distributed. And in '75, I don't even remember anything about cable. I mean, basically, they just came out with video machines. Wow. That year. There were a lot of interesting things, though, that happened in 75, in that the Norman Lear shows were very, very big. Mm-hmm. And Saturday Night Live started that summer. You know, I never thought about it. Which television exactly to some yeah. degree. Sure. But, you know, I had been watching Mary Tyler Moore, and I wanted to be doing, I wanted to be doing, well, All in the Family and stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. kind of where I saw myself going. But, you know, life, the universe has other plans for you, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, what's the old saying? Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I just say yes. You know, job <laughs> comes up, they want me. Good. <laughs> you know, we we mentioned we mentioned the great Claire Levine a while ago. Talk about yes. working with her. Talk about collaborating with her and creating a character with her and Well, you know, she created a good character to begin with. But and of course, also a, a good and thoughtful actor, you know, will fill in a lot of the blanks and flesh it and become flesh and blood. But she had created a great character, and she had written this in the in the um, in the Bible, which is what they call, I guess, uh, the what you submit to the network to tell them what you're going to be doing mm-hmm. with your show. It's the Bible. So Delia was this amazing little portrait, and uh, I just knew that I could do this. I could be Delia. And they knew that as soon as I walked in. But it was really a very intimate and very um, very difficult experience. I was not used to doing television like that. I had done a couple of television things, but wasn't used to working under all that pressure and memorizing all those lines. And even though that was just a half-hour show, I mean, there were... But you, you, know, know, you know, the scene length of those things were... They were very... Long those scenes; they were ten to twelve pages yeah, long. Yeah, it was. You know, it was a very densely written show, even very though it was only half an hour. Exactly. It, it it sometimes had the feel of a longer show. Absolutely. Yeah. But it had no fluff in it. It just was. It was all very important stuff. Did you Did you know from soaps at that time before you took this job, or, or were you? Um, you know, oddly enough, the only soap that I really watched was with Bernie Barrow because I thought Bernie Barrow, who played. Uh, 
the father on Ryan's Hope, uh-huh. Johnny Ryan, uh-huh. I thought he was really interesting and a sexy older man. And uh, I was fascinated. He played this good, bad politician. You know, this very flawed mm-hmm. character, but it was a very interesting. So I used to... I used to watch him. So you can imagine my surprise <laughs> when I come into work the first day. First of all, there were so many surprises, so many surprises, that I had to say that it was the place where I was supposed to be because Malcolm Groom, who played Pat, we had done uh-huh. Grease together. Justin Dees, he wasn't in my Grease company, but he had done the company of Grease, so I knew, one of the companies of Grease, so I knew him. And wow. Nancy Addison, who was a good friend of mine, we were friendly. Uh, we were friendly while I was doing Grease. Okay. And then Bernie Barrow walks in, <laughs> and so all of a sudden there's like four people that I already know. Sure. And then Helen Gallagher was someone who I admired, and was very familiar with. So my God, <laughs> it was shocking. I was scared to death. <laughs> and Kate Mulgrew was this powerhouse. You know, and she came over to me and she said, I was tying my sneakers. I was on the, like on the ground kneeling, tying my shoes and she's dressed up and she comes over to me and she goes, and how old are you? (laughs) And I went, 22. And she goes, I'm 18. And she was, she was only 18. Wow. 18 going on 80. Exactly. (laughs) It's frightening. I thought, oh my God. And what what a perfect match between her and Michael Levin. I mean, what a perfect, God given match. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, he was fantastic. What a cast. Sure. See, they picked very offbeat people, not typical soap people at all. So it was fantastic. But it was scary. I have to tell you, it was scary. And, and for several months, I was flailing around. <laughs> do, you, do you remember when you finally found your groove and what kind of made it click into place for you? Well, I, you know, I feel like I didn't really even get my groove till. People will say, no, you had your groove, but I would have had my groove sooner, but one of the directors, she kept on pushing me to kind of overact, and it didn't feel really normal to me, and it 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 confused me a little bit. So um, when I stopped totally listening to her, more of myself, more of the confident person took over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then also when they had a strike, when the cameramen went on strike, and they had to slow things down a little bit, and they had cameramen who had they they hired people who had never run cameras before gotcha. and trained them, but we had to slow everything down, and it gave me such confidence for some odd reason slowing it down <laughs> that it really I became very strong because we were it was an emergency situation. So we and we had to do things several takes of things and mm-hmm. stuff. So it was more my speed. How long did you stay there? That your first run on the show. How long? My first run was three years. Was it was it your choice to leave or? or... Oh, it was my choice. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to do comedy, so I really and I was doing comedy there, but I wanted to do more of it. So of course I you know did that horrible three years in L.A. Uh-huh. where I didn't get one comedy show. But anyway, things go down the way they go down. Absolutely, you know, it, it, I'm sure it made you, I'm sure it made you a stronger person in other ways, just to get out and you know, absolutely, and, and you absolutely. know, try something else and, and 
come back to it with a fresh palette. Yeah, and I did. You know, I did a bunch of stuff in L.A., and I, I did a project that I had written, and I did a lot of music, and I uh, did a lot of music. Then came back and had a little stint on One Life to Live, got fired from that and rehired on Ryan's Hope the next day, and then came back for a couple of years, and then got fired. It's too long a story to go into. <laughs> the people shall remain nameless. <laughs> sure. But it was really a ludicrous thing. Claire and Paul weren't out there at that time. Yeah, really. by that time, ABC had bought the show and yes, I believe were trying so, yeah. to kind of transmogrify it into something that it, that it completely that is, wasn't. Exactly. Yeah. And then um, after I got let go, I, I ended up doing a comedy review for a couple of years. And then I ended up doing a show called Mayor, which was about uh, Mayor Koch's uh, it was a musical version of, of Mayor Koch's book. Okay. And I did a bunch of off-Broadway shows, and then they asked me to come back to Ryan's Hope, and Claire and Paul were coming back. So my last four years on Ryan's Hope was a gas. I had a fabulous time. I really had found myself. I had the power to do do things the way I wanted to do them. So the last four years were great. Excellent. So it was kind of sad when it it ended because I was really happy. I had made peace with the job. I had made peace in a medium that I never wanted to be in. <laughs> and I just sat there and I went, okay, I, you know, because I'm doing a lot of comedy, I'm doing my music, uh-huh. and you know, and I was really had a lot of peace of mind. And and somehow a little voice inside of me told me that we were going off the air. And sure enough, later that afternoon, they told us we were going off the air. Were, were you all caught off guard by that by that cancellation, or, or did you all? Kind well, of not exactly. Not exactly. I mean, I've seen I've seen Claire in in interviews since that time. Uh, you know, her saying that people were telling her, "Don't come back." You know, it's it's going off the air anyway. Don't don't even waste your time. But you know, oh, we had it, four years. We had four. You know, we had four great years those yeah. last years. You know, I think Claire was back for four years. I don't know. You know, ratings and it it actually had nothing to do with ratings they they were going to take a show off and they were going to take loving off and they took Ryan's hope off and that's a whole other story which i don't really know the the sordid details but they are pretty sordid i think <laughs> because that that never was really supposed to go down the way it went down is it true that that before you found yourself on one life to live you actually watched it and that a friend of yours uh told you that you would be starring on yes. that show someday mhm two people Two people told me that. Two people. Kevin Harris, a friend of mine who uh, who I work with. He's a musician himself. But he always told me I was going to be on One Life. And this woman, Alma Davies, who just passed away this year. She'd be about 83 or 84 right now. She was from South Africa. And she'd say, and I'd work for her because she was writing all these musicals and I was her dramaturg. And... Um, I'd go over to her house and read these scripts and give her all these notes, and she'd go into her room, and she'd always say, you're going to be on, you will be on the show. And i go, no, I don't think so. She goes, no, you will be on the show. And sure enough, she was right. What did you think of that show when you watched it? You know, I was very spoiled from Ryan's Hope. So I felt... First of all, what was really weird, because, you know, she had it on all the time. I didn't feel like there were some, there was, they were missing, a, like, a really good villain. You know, the one that you love to hate. Uh-huh. I don't know. There was just something, you know, Robin was not on the show at that point. There were a lot of new faces. I don't know. I, I, I didn't know what I thought. I, I didn't, 
I didn't think I would fit in for some reason. I just didn't think I would fit in there. But I did. Tell me how Roxy came to you. I mean, I know that that you were close with with Lorraine, as you said, and and she was writing the show at that time. So, I mean, obviously you had an in there. But but I mean, how did how did oh, Roxy... I knew what to do with that character from day one, pretty much. I don't know. It it didn't. It wasn't even something I had to really sit down and figure out. I just I wanted to, but I wanted to give her a real edge, which I did. And I know that people did not like the character at first, mm-hmm. but I didn't care because I felt like. This is who she needed to be. Well, you know, at at first, when you first came on, you were clashing with Vicky, uh, who was, you know, the, I mean, she's the saint of the show. So, of course, you know, the audience is immediately predisposed to dislike you based on, you yes. know, our, our deep love of Vicky. Right, yeah. But you know what? There are a lot of, you know, uh, Roxanne would think that Vicky is a big hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> and that a lot of people in my town were big hypocrites. <laughs> I just took it from Roxanne's point of view. Was Roxy written from the start to be as outrageous as she was, or well, did they I kind of write for that I on? added to it. I mean, you know, depending on the actress that you, you pick, you're going to get a lot or you're going to get a little. I had done a character, you know, I had done Marvin's Room, uh, the stage play. And I don't know if you ever saw the movie, but... I did see I was, the movie. That's one of my favorite movies. Yes, it's a fantastic movie directed by my good friend Jerry Zaks who I had done Grease with. Jerry directed a major amount of things on Broadway, and he did a spectacular job on this movie. I played the Meryl Streep role, a tough-talking, tough-walking hairdresser. Absolutely. So all of a sudden, Roxy, to me, is was that character to some degree. No apologies. No apologies. Yeah. And that's the way I felt Roxy was. And it was just one of those things. I mean, it, it, it I did... Marvin's Room in like 97 or 98 but and this didn't come up till 2001 but I always said that my next character I wanted it to be like the character in Marvin's Room and sure enough it was you know one of my one of my favorite lines of dialogue that I've ever heard actually comes from that movie and I can't quote it verbatim but you know it's it's the scene where the Meryl Streep character talks to her son and she tells him that her love for him is like a bowl of fish hooks she yes. can't she can't just pick out one one hook, you know, she grabs one and they all come. Yes. All of her feelings, all of her emotions. And, you know, it's, it's a great scene and it's a great line of dialogue. And, boy, I tell you what, it's, it's a fantastic movie. It's a fantastic Oh, yeah. Piece of uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful play. I'd like to do the play again because the theater that I did it in was a difficult theater. It was too large a theater and the set was too complicated and we'd spend more time doing set changes than doing the play. So, um, at some point, I would like to do it again. Yeah. So, speak to speak to Roxy's evolution on this show's canvas. On on balance, are you satisfied with how you've kind of settled into this show over the years? Yes and no. It's very <sighs> boy. I, I it's so it's, my emotions about this are very complicated. I feel like if they could keep me on a front burner that there would be fascinating places to take this character I, I love her and I think it's a great character I actually think it would have been more interesting had Jessica actually turned out to be my child mm-hmm. and I think they copped out on that I think that was a big mistake they really copped out on the 
my whole relationship with Max because sure. they won't, for whatever reason, they were going to get rid of James Piva. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they were expecting our relationship to ignite the audience as much as it did, and it did. And it certainly did. And it did. And they made sure, for whatever reason, to get rid of it <laughs> real fast. So I, you know, I... Uh, you must have been outraged. Uh, yes, I've been outraged about a bunch of things, and I love them. I mean, and we have a wonderful producer. Frank is really actually a brilliant producer. But sometimes I think there's a whole behind-the-scenes, behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. that I know nothing about, you know, Corporation uh-huh. uh, Central somewhere, and it's all of a sudden like, no, we're giving too much to Roxy. I don't know. I I really don't know, because I know that this is a very interesting character. And, you know, the lives and loves of Roxy Balsam is very interesting to me. So I'm assuming it would be interesting to other people. But so it it progresses. And then it and then I'll be on the show. I'll be on the show. I'll be on the show. Looks like a storyline. Looks like a storyline. And then it, it just doesn't really go to where it the level that that it needs to go to. I, I, I'm I very saddened by the fact that they didn't have um, Sylvia Miles on more playing my mother. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was like, that worked, and it was like, oh, we're not going to do that. <laughs> you know, whenever anything, for me, has worked, like, especially with James DePive, uh-huh. they had an amazing chemistry. It was like, they had oh. you and Max together for a few months, and then... They they mixed Ace into it for a little bit, and then all of a sudden... Well, that was gone. interesting, too. And I thought I was going to try to, you know, work them both, you sure. know, and figure out who was going to fall for it. And I thought it would have been very interesting if Roxy got involved with Ace and got some of his money and uh-huh. stuff. I mean, uh-huh. I was ready to take it in that level. I was ready to be the character that you love to hate. I really was. And I was kind of disappointed when it kind of got a little like, oh, Roxy's so much fun. Well, she mm-hmm. is, but she's got an edge because she's been through a lot. And, you know, kind of speaking toward that, lately, you know, they've been teasing us with the story of Rex's paternity. And yes. And, they'll, you know, they'll crank up the heat on that for a little while, and then they'll, it'll die off, and then they'll, they'll crank up the heat again, and then it'll die off. And, and what it kind of does is it jerks the audience around a little bit until they don't really care anymore. I know. Oh, I could get myself into too much trouble, so I won't. <laughs> don't do that. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to. I don't think sometimes the powers that be understand the audience. They want a different. They always want a different audience rather than really working on the audience that they have. Well, you know that's the, that's the classic television conundrum. But you fortify the audience that you have, and then the audience that you have seems to magnetize the other people that you need. Uh huh. You know, there, there's nothing like good old fashioned word of mouth. Nothing. Uh huh. Nothing beats it. Let, let me ask you this. I had Linda Nano on this show a couple of weeks ago. Yes. And, you know, she's a, she's a fabulous actress. Oh, and, she's a you know, she's, yeah. she's kind of walked away from acting of late. She's had some, some personal tragedies in her yes. life, and she's been dealing with that. But, you know, she told me that even now, whenever she goes on a new acting job, no matter what the part is, no matter how small it is, how big it is, whatever it is, she gets nervous as all hell. And, you know, I was sitting here thinking as me she was saying that. too. You know, as, as good as you are and as, and as much as you've accomplished, you still get nervous. Absolutely. That's been the thing, the subject matter all week long with very many people. I mean, I was so nervous to do this play over the last three days, I can't even tell you. And I pulled it off. But the adrenaline was, could have gotten me to the moon. I did an audition for Law and Order that I was so nervous that I bombed. 
completely. Do you know what specifically makes you nervous when you when you get a new piece of material? Even even when you get a script as Roxy, what do you can you kind of zero in on what exactly well, makes you get, nervous? I don't get that. Well, well, you know, you get nervous. You go you you go on the floor. You don't have any rehearsal basically, and all of a sudden you're yakking away, <laughs> and it's frightening. <laughs> Acting is scary <laughs> sometimes. Do you ever watch the air show of One Left to Live? One, you know, when do you ever catch it on TV and and just kind yeah. of sit and watch it? Yeah. I mean, usually when I'm on, because I don't watch it when I'm not on sometimes because I see places where I should be mm-hmm. on, <laughs> and I get very frustrated. <laughs> so I stopped doing that. I got you. Okay. No, but I I usually watch it when I'm on. I didn't. I, I know I was on on Friday, and I didn't watch it yet. It's been a little frustrating summer because I, I think there have been a lot of holes. But I don't like the stuff, and I can't make them do what they don't want to do. Absolutely. The audience maybe can. So everybody, who, you know, anybody and everybody who's listening, sure. if you want to see more of me, which you will anyway, because I, I've, I've got a whole group of shows coming up. But Terrific. if you do want to see more of me, you know, you have to contact the powers that be. Absolutely. Not that they'll listen, but hopefully <laughs> one of these days they will. They... Given given that you film so far ahead and that you take bits of episodes out of sequence, and you know you're you're a little bit here and a little bit there, and you just kind of film it very disjointedly. Are you able to be objective about what you see when you do finally watch it? I, yeah, I kind of sit there objectively and watch it. It's like watching another person when I see me acting. I mean, I'm actually much closer and much more like Roxy than I am like Delia. But it still is become something very, some different entity that I'm watching out there. It's not exactly like watching myself. What do you think of the of the brilliantly eclectic canvas of characters that Frank and Ron have? Well, there? I, I think you just described it. <laughs> I think it's a very brilliant, eclectic group of people. And I think it has more diversity and more color to it than any of the other soaps, honestly. I think it's the best soap on, without a doubt. And, you know, it's fantastic. I was talking with Brett last week, and I was talking with yes. Nick a month ago, and, you know, we were talking about the gay storyline specifically, the, the storyline that they're in. But, you know, I was telling them that, I, you know, I've been watching this show for 21 years now, and, you know, this is a show that in the 70s especially very much made its name putting forth a canvas that was very socially, ethnically, culturally diverse. And they had kind of gotten away from that for a time, and it's great to see, as I was telling them, the human mosaic back in all of its colors in full force in Landview. That you you've just described it better than I ever could. <laughs> yes, it's an eclectic, brilliant canvas. And I think it's really I think it's a great show. In terms of producers and writers in this genre, you have worked with the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And you you mentioned Frank a while ago. I'm wondering where you would put Frank in that lineup. Oh, Frank's an excellent producer. He's been, and, the, sh- he's been the show's producer for seven years now. Yeah, and that's but the longest he's that... a scary good director to work with. He's not scared to give notes. He gives notes to everybody. He's very good. You know, I've, I've had a handful of One Life people on the show over the past few months, and to a man, every one of them has talked about how much they love it when Frank directs an episode. It's amazing. You know, tell me what's different about Frank. Tell me, well, tell me it's what's scary. Different. I have to say it's scary because he wants you to work really quick. And sometimes, you know, at nine 9.30 in the morning, it's hard to. But he has very fresh ideas. I'm a very fast thinker. He thinks much faster than me. Wow. He's wow. really quite brilliant. He's a very, very good director. Because, you know, a lot of the times the directors don't really have time to direct you because it's a fast day. Mm-hmm. And so you better come in with the goods. But for some reason, Frank just adds something 
very good. He challenges you a lot. You know, he's done some amazing, innovative things during his tenure there. And mm-hmm. as I was saying, he, you know, he's he's been here for seven years now as a producer. I mean, he's been there for, good Lord, I guess 25 years in various capacities. But he's had the, the producing post the longest of anybody since the Paul Roush days of, of yep. you know, the late 80s. And he deserves it. He deserves it. I, I You know, I can't say enough about how he puts himself at the helm. He puts himself totally at the helm, and, and you know who's at the helm. And that's um, just an amazing to to be under the leadership of someone like that. And he seems like one of those guys that's just kind of universally beloved within the industry. You never hear a bad word said about him. Yeah, I mean, um, to the manner born, he's a leader. No, you have to have a leader, you know. And Absolutely, especially in these tough times, you've got to have somebody. Who's, yeah. You know, not afraid to put their neck in the in yeah. the guillotine. And yep. So we were talking about your co-star Brett. I had him on here last week, and I asked him about working. Oh, he's with so him. cute. Here's a direct quote from him about you. (laughs) Working with Eileen is like the best acting class ever because you really have to learn to listen. She makes me step up every time I'm on set with her. Wow. That's really great. That's really wonderful. Well, he's he's wonderful. You know, I think that man is giving the performance to watch in daytime right now. He has two of the most expressive, most genuine eyes that I've ever seen. Yes. You know, he's able to convey so much pain and so much heartbreak through his eyes, and you know, even in scenes where he has no dialogue and you're just watching his face, he's always interesting to watch. I, I just, mm-hmm. I'm utterly fascinated by him. Yeah, no, he's he's great. I wish they'd give us more. I mean, we've 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 had some really nice scenes, and the audience really likes us together. But it's so funny. The straightest boy on the planet is. <laughs> 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 you know, he's so straight. You know, and uh, it's so. It's just so funny, and boy, they have thrown him twists and turns coming on this show. They certainly have. It's so great to to see how he's blossomed over the summer, and you know it's, it, it you know it's the proof in the pudding. You know, you you take a great actor and you give him a great character, and you write toward it, and you just watch him blossom. Mm-hmm. I mean, he kind of you know fumbled around the canvas looking for, looking for a character, and they finally gave him one, and it's it's really amazing how he's just kind of. Like someone threw water on him over the summer. It's it's really amazing. I think he's doing yeah. the work of the work to watch in daytime right now. It's oh, my wow. I you know I really really love working with him, and um, you know I just hope I get to do more of it. And I love Scott Evans. You know everybody in that storyline is doing terrific work, and it, it's it's great to see the way they're they're pardon the pun here, but they're they're playing it straight. They're playing it just a yeah, just like a basic love story. I mean, they're because why are gay people any different than? A regular love story. I mean, sure. we we really need to grow up. We're so backwards in this country about. <laughs> I, I just don't understand it. I, it's like, next topic, please. Can we get over this? <laughs> we're in a we're in two wars, you know. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Can we figure out how to do an electric car? <laughs> do we have to, you know? Do we have to like forbid people to get married to really love each other? No. Can we just invent a car that doesn't run on gas? Why don't we put all our energy into that? Why don't we put all our energy into fighting <laughs> poverty and health care? And, and why are people starving in Haiti? That's much more, you know, there are some great causes out there. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, it, it's so funny what you say about Brett, though, being, being the straightest guy ever. You know, it's the great thing about this storyline to me is he is the face of, I shouldn't say he, his character is the face of gay people in this country in 2009. I mean, you know, most gay people 
in this country, you would never know they're gay unless they absolutely told you. Right. You always look for the stereotypes, but you know the stereotypes are the the exception to the rule and not the rule. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what's your What's your take on daytime these days? I mean, Guiding Light is gone now. Paychecks are shrinking. A plus list actors like you know Eric Braden are abandoning ship. Everyone else seems to be hanging on by a fraying thread. I mean, where are we Where are we headed here? What, are we at the point of no return, or is this crisis still reparable? I don't. I really don't know. I think ABC is investing in their in their soaps. I don't know if I look Young and Restless. I don't think is going anywhere. That would be a huge loss. Sure. An ex-boyfriend of mine is going on that. A wonderful actor, William Russ. Okay. He played the father on Boy Meets World. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's going on Young and Restless. I was. He had been on Another World when we lived together. He, when I was on Ryan's Hope, he was on Another World, and Another World used to have the most amazing actors. All no Broadway actors. Dorothy Lyman was on that. Mm-hmm. Wonderful actor Leon Russom. John Tillinger, the director, was on. Just, there's a lot of people. Who, the great guy Morgan Freeman got his got his start on that show. Yeah. Yeah, and Vicky Windham and Doug Watson and right. So. I don't know where it's all going. I I hope that ABC invests in us, and you know we had some very scary, uh, some very scary things were written, and uh, rumors get started, and <laughs> a little, and it all kind of kind of feeds on itself and becomes. You know, do do you think that ABC often underestimates how popular One Life to Live really is? Yes. I mean, you know, GH is their favorite child, and 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 has been for literally as long as I can remember, and you know, All My Children is Agnes's diamond, even though creatively yes. it's a it's a shell of its former self. Absolutely. But that's Agnes's baby, and that still carries some weight within ABC, obviously. But, yes. you know, when you look at some of the staggering talent that has strolled through the streets of Landview over the years, I mean, we're talking about Judith Light and Michael Zaslow and right. you and Robin Strasser and Hillary Smith, Erica Slezak, Bob Woods. I mean, it's, it's stunning to me how little regard ABC seems to have sometimes for you guys, for this show. Yeah, but... You know, being the little uh, bastard child, like you know, in Ryan's Hope, I, I, and then when I was on Loving, I was on Loving for that year, and then that was treated like the, you know, the little <laughs> stupid stepchild. You know, it's like, you know, sometimes you know you never get the chance to be at the adult table. You know, Thanksgiving's coming along, and I'm at the children's table, and here I'm at the children's table again. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I just, I think it's a great show. I, I don't want. I can't make any pronouncements about what's going to happen because I don't have my my crystal ball is being repaired. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, and also, you know, sometimes I just deal with one week at a time. What's that? <laughs> and when life gets very pressured, I deal with fifteen minute increments. <laughs> really, seriously, <laughs> I can't deal with anything. Sometimes beyond fifteen minutes of where uh-huh. I am. Listen, I, I, I'm right there with you. My partner all the time. He drives me crazy because he likes to plan everything out. I mean, he likes uh-huh. to plan entire months at a time. And he'll ask me about, like, he wants to make Christmas plans right now. And I always tell him, you know, I don't even know what I'm having for breakfast tomorrow. So, you know, I can't even think about two right. months down the road. It's I, I, you know, I, I love when people are thinking about what they're going to have for dessert for dinner when they <laughs> haven't even eaten breakfast yet. You know, I don't kind of live like that. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Oh, did you see the No Hate campaign? That I, I certainly did. You know that that was the next thing I was going to ask you about. You know this this uh, this this campaign, this project. It's such an amazing thing that that this guy Adam Buska and his team have put yes. together. I mean, I don't I don't know if you know about the genesis of the project, but but if you do, can you talk a little bit about it and 
and how you got involved. I don't involved. know how it started. I know that, uh, first of all, this issue about marriage, it's got to stop. Let people get married. What's the big deal? <laughs> what, what? I mean, if a gay couple gets married, what is it doing to my life? Why do I care? You know, I, I haven't been married because I don't know if it's an institution that I totally believe in. But for anybody who wants to be in an institution, they should be allowed to be. <coughs> totally. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, we, I hopefully with this administration, with Obama, mm-hmm. we're going to get this passed. I think people got very confused about Prop 8, obviously. I think they thought if they voted yes, it was good. It would yes, Prop Eight would go that there would be gay marriage. I think people were very confused that yes meant no. You know, who I, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was Judge Judy. I saw her on Larry King, and she was saying that exact thing. She was saying you know because the margin was so close. I mean, it was razor thin the way it passed. She was saying exactly what you just said. If you just took another crack at it and put simple language on the ballot, and you know. You know, told people you're voting for this or you're voting for this, and right. you know, took another took another ballot. It it may have a very radically different result. I think we got to get through this issue and uh, equality for everybody. I, I think it's coming though. I really do think it's coming. Well, you know, the world it only spins forward. It, it you know it, it it can't go backwards. I mean, you know, humanity and life has a forward momentum to it that cannot be stopped cannot be altered it, it's a horrible way to say it and it's a horrible thing to say but you know i think that some of the old guard has to die off a little bit some of the some of the pat robertson's and the the jerry falwell's and you know the people who really came out big against this 30 years yes. ago and started the whole the whole idea of the religious right and the you know the what is it the focus on the family and all that crap i mean you know all that guard has to die off because right you know the generations that are coming up they they go to school with gay people. They see gay people on television. It's it's not a big issue anymore for the younger people coming up. But it's still it's still the old people in positions of power that that are you know creating all this havoc. I I agree. I I I I think there's a misinterpretation of the Bible, and um, and I think the Bible is being used you know as you can, a weapon. You can, you can take that book and you can take any sentence, any word in that book and twist it to fit any argument that you want it to. Right. I mean, I grew up in a very artistic, very um, open household. My father uh, was a hairdresser, and so, you know, a lot of the men in his store were gay. And, you know, it's like, get over it, folks. I hope we're not having this conversation in a couple of years. (laughs) Why wouldn't that be a miracle? I hope... First of all, you know, we have a black president now, so we'll never have to have that conversation again. Like, oh, there's going to be a black president. Uh-huh. Yes, there was one. Uh, I mean, that we're going to have a Spanish president. We're going to... Uh-huh. A female president? Yes. You know, in my lifetime, you know, when the com- when communism ended in, in Russia, I, I went, wow, this is happening in my lifetime. <laughs> and, the, you know, and I, I was in Times Square when... Um, Obama won. And it was, I have to say, one of the most thrilling moments I have ever had in my life. You know, everybody was crying. and uh-huh. It was just one of the most, we'll never forget it as long as I live. You know, there are changes are coming. People shouldn't have to hide. We're just people. Absolutely. Everybody, you know, so. Anyway, 
It's been the greatest thrill, and I want you to know that you are welcome here. I'll do it again. (laughs) You're welcome here anytime to discuss anything. Thank you. Before I let you go, could I get you to record a promo for my show? Absolutely. You just want me to free associate? You know, as long as it includes the words Eileen Kristen and Brandon's Buzz, anything else you say is totally up to you. Do I get to do it again if I don't do it right? You can do it as many times as you please. Okay. Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz with Brandon, and it was just a fabulous hour and a half. We probably could talk for several days, but I must go to sleep eventually. But this is a great show and a very sophisticated mind. So spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. Fantastic. Thank you so, 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 so much. Oh, my pleasure. (laughs) You're welcome here anytime. Please come back. Thank you. Will do. Absolutely. (laughs) Bye-bye. The fabulous Eileen Christian, everybody, on Brandon's Buzz. Brandon's Buzz in the can for Tuesday, October 13th, 2009. As I said at the top of the show, come back next week, next Tuesday night, the fantastic Jessica Tuck. She was on One Life to Live for three years. She's gone on to a great film career and great primetime career. Uh, she's been on True Blood lately. She's coming up on Flash Forward. She told me yesterday, uh, just a great character actress and a great woman. She's started a new online initiative, a new online website called inspirethechange.com. It's kind of an environmentally based, environmentally conscious website. And she's coming on the show to talk all about that, to talk about One Life, to talk about her amazing career. That's next Tuesday night, October 20th, 2009, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, with Jessica Tuck. And I've got great shows coming up. It's a full October. It's a full November. It's a full fall here at Brandon's Buzz. You can find Brandon's Buzz at its main website, blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. That's kind of mission control for the show. Uh, From there, you can listen to the show. You can download old shows. uh, You can leave comments. You can send me emails. You can give me feedback. I welcome any and all feedback. Uh, I like hearing what you guys have to say, so please let me know. Please drop me a line, leave a comment, uh, listen to the show, love the show. That's at blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. I'm also at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. From there, you can uh, listen to the show in the radio archive. There's a full radio archive up at the top of the page. Just click the blue button that says radio, uh, and from there you can go to a page where you can see all the dates listed. You can click on each date. And that will take you to a page where you can see the great banners that my pal Joanne makes to help me advertise the show, and you can listen to the corresponding show. So that's at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. I'm also on iTunes. I'm on iTunes, guys. Type in Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. From there, you can download individual old shows as podcasts, or you can subscribe to the show and have podcasts of my show automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the store. So, uh, you know, I'm all over the Internet. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on iTunes. Just Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that will point you in my direction. And uh, I appreciate you finding me and listening to me, and I hope you continue listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Brenda Russell, and there is definitely a buzz happening. Brandon's Buzz. I just had the most fun in the world doing Brandon's Buzz. This is Louise Schaefer. It's a fabulous podcast, and it's a great, great way to spend some time. Brandon is the best. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hey, everybody, this is Beth Maitland. You probably know me best from my role as Tracy Abbott on The Young and the Restless, and I'm talking to you about Brandon's Buzz. Come on, you got to find him. Hi, this is Gordon Thompson speaking, and I want to tell you that I have appeared on Brandon's Buzz, 
and I had a great time. And I think you will too, so please, log on and have a look. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blood Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh, oh.